So, um, if you would take a seat. So, um, this is uh, your opportunity to ask questions. Yes. In the Buddhist, um, in this tradition, um, it's always pointing to what we're not. It doesn't really give a defined description of what we are. Um, if, we're not, if it's not sort of form or feelings or... things that come into consciousness, which most people would say these things come in and they affect this thing that I can't find me. But we can't define what it is. It's just a state of um, things that arise and you react, something reacts to it, there's still got to be something to react to. Well, this is the ultimate question. <laughs> Uh, that can't be answered. <laughs> uh, because an answer would define you'd you'd you're used to thinking of yourself always with the, in the forms of of a self or a being of some sort. So, uh, and the Buddha in the, in this particular style in the Pali tradition. It's 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 aimed basically to to not to not give you any possibility of becoming anything. <clears throat> so what it does is it just what what actually uh, bhavana or uh, cultivating this path is you're letting everything go. It's total relinquishment till there's nothing, and that's what you are. But that's not, that can sound rather stark, but it's like you're not anything you think or a physical being, but you're not a thing, in other words. You're not a condition, not a person, uh, not a anything that's conceivable. And so this is where, you know, when you, that's why you can't really conceive it or think about it. But you, as you, as you cultivate this way, then more and more you recognize Dhamma, deathless reality, ultimate reality. You recognize it's re it's real. It's not just a kind of theoretical reality or a abstract idea of reality. You know, it's, it's real here and now. And then we're experiencing reality within the structures of the human body, and then the conditioning that we've acquired, you know, like the sense of yourself as a man, or as an English person, as a this or that. That's acquired kind of condition, that's conventional reality. But then, uh, you know, this, this is a way of, you're just taking, like a peeling an onion, you take off layers and when you get, there's nothing. <laughs> but, <laughs> but no thing isn't like a, it's not like uh, annihilate. It's not annihilation, but it's beyond conception, and this is why I refer to it usually like intuit intuition or universal. You know, universal 
conscious. It's transcendent. It's not. It's not limited and bound in conditions. Oh, it's the noumena, noumenon. Now you can't. And that 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 points to it. It doesn't define it. You call it a non-state. And so you you know you the states are you know things that come and go and change, the state of mind, the state of your body, the this is dependent on conditions, and the, the states are changing. The non-state is uh, is what we you know through letting go of the states we begin to realize the noumena or the non state or the non-self or non-attachment. So this is where thinking has to, you have to let go of thinking. <clears throat> and, uh, and, and this is the ultimate act of faith too. It is, it's like the, like the, uh, the monastic form is all about relinquishing. You know, so the, it's, it's, it's the, you know, the, to be a samana, like this. This is a samana tradition that we're in here. It's all. It's not about becoming. It's about relinquishing. And so it's uh, it's totally against the the whole worldly conditioning that we have. It's like I'm conditioned, being American. I'm conditioned to attain and achieve. You know, my whole ego structure, my whole. Uh, sense of myself is a, is based on the ideals of attainment, achievement, becoming uh, something or other. And then, uh, and then, uh, then they, then you become a, you know, you enter this samana tradition and then it's about non-becoming, about uh, non-attachment. And so it's, it's, this is where you're going against the whole ethos of worldly beliefs and traditions and and the worldly mind in yourself and in the society. But it does, it you know, like I find in my own uh, experience of it, it does, you know, through this relinquishing you know, it's like when it, the, like suffering is all about attaching to things. So it's it's like you, you know, you're always frightened or worried or on the ego level. You know, there's always stress or something going wrong or possibly something will go wrong or failure or worry and anxiety. Even in as I was pointing out before, in a stable. Uh, affluent society that we live in, people's stress levels are incredibly high. <laughs> uh, and why is that? You know, you could, uh, you know, because of the cultural conditioning, it's all about achieving and attaining and getting, and and then the whole society is about becoming. You know, uh, it's uh, you know trying to prove yourself, get something, become, get more money. It's so materialistic now, you know, the idea of, of uh, you know, having all the best, new things, latest model, better car, better this, better that. 
and, and the whole, uh, you know, the government wants you to go out and spend all your money to keep for the economy. You know, so you're encouraged, you're continually being, uh, you know, told that you should go out and spend all your money. To <laughs> Uh, for the economy's sake, and then, uh, uh, and so the the time, and then the the time now is one of the, the ego is so strong, you know, it's it's uh, such a strong sense of self-importance, my rights and what I think, and and uh, you see hear it, you know, like I like to listen to Radio Four sometimes, and they have these interviews, and, and they have. You know, quite interesting people talking, and it's all about, you know, trying to become, get something, improve everything, and asserting yourself, becoming somebody. And then the, what the monastic form does is it, you're letting go of that, you're not becoming. And if you are, you're using it all wrong. <laughs> So it's uh, it's like like I feel you know like people will say to me you know they they see me as a person. So Ajahn Tomato's birthday, Ajahn Tomato is retiring, Ajahn, and uh, then they'll say, "Oh, Ajahn Tomato, you've done so much, you know, the building these monasteries." Ajahn Tomato, you've you know so that then you know as a this is a conventional way of looking at it. But the reality behind that is, you know, I, I don't feel I've done anything. You know, it's not like I've, this is a plan that I've, you know, my vision and I put this plan to work here. I can't claim it. It's happened. You know, because the conditions for it to happen are present, but it's not personal. So it's, it's it's through the the scene of you know the this letting go of the self because you know whenever I see myself coming in and thinking oh, I've done all this I know that is not to be, not to believe in it or uh, you know the, and we all have kind of personal hang-ups you know we have personal weaknesses so. So, you know, personal, you know, living in, in monastic communities and, you know, we all shave our heads and put on brown robes, but, you know, there's no two monks or nuns the same. They're all different. And so we, we have a, the same, you know, the, the samana life, the alms mendicant life, but then We've got to deal with our own particular karmic tendencies. And uh, so what leaves like anatta, non-self, there's nothing. If there's no ego, there's no ajahn or no self, what is there to become? Except there is this knowing of, this knowing becomes stable. It's not a, a conceptual knowing about something. It's not knowing about Buddhism anymore. It's not a, a kind of knowing that depends on conditions supporting it. It's, it's a profound knowing 
It's called what? Like insight, knowledge, jnana, dasana. These words. So it does give you this freedom from being bound to the position or the conditions that you're experiencing uh, in the, through the form, you know, through the through the uh, summoner form, or one can one can become a, an egotistical bhikkhu. <laughs> so, uh, you know, so, uh, and that would be a misuse of the form. It's not not supposed. This aim of it's to to not become, to let go of becoming, or see see the uh, suffering that one creates through trying to become something. Like one of the questions I put to people, you know, like they say, you know, why why do we practice meditation? You know, what is why do you come here? Or ask the like on a retreat, why have you come here? You know, ten day retreat in that retreat center, and uh, why do you come? Well, you could be, you know, lying on the beach in in Mallorca or someplace. And here you're kind of crowded and jammed in this stuffy room with. <laughs> why do you do that? <laughs> and this is. Uh, you know, to be, and, and then of course we tend the ego says, well, you know, I'm I'm a somebody that is unenlightened, and I have problems, and I have fears, and I want to practice in order to become enlightened or resolve my problems. So this is the ego operating. You know, we we start we 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 start meditating usually because we don't like ourselves or we see something's wrong with me with ourself and that we think maybe meditation might help. And then the, then the, so like saying, speaking for myself, that brought me into the monastic life. And then Ajahn Chah kept, uh, uh, you know, pointing to the fact that, that uh, there's no self. And in the sense that I'm here in order to become enlightened, suddenly I could see that is a, something I create, you know, I'm not good enough the way I am, I need to practice hard in order to become uh, uh, an arahant or whatever. <laughs> and so, so then you, you see that, you know, you begin to observe, you're trusting this awareness rather than believing, operating from a, a, any position, like I'm not good enough, I've got to do something in order to become somebody better. You know, to contemplate that. You know, the, you know, we we do see. Uh, you know, the ego is can be very tyrannical because it, usually it's very much uh, uh, aware of what's wrong with you. You know, what you don't like about yourself. Yeah, you know, isn't it? Your ego usually it's. it's uh, you're more conscious of your faults or weaknesses or fears than, than anything. And so, you know, you want to get rid of fear, get rid of anger and so forth. Because, you know, good people shouldn't be angry or jealous and frightened. They should be healthy person is normal, happy, healthy, wealthy, wise. You know, she should be happy all the time. 
and shouldn't be stressed. And you shouldn't be envious or jealous of somebody else. You shouldn't be frightened. You should be brave and forgiving. You should forgive your enemies and uh, kind to everybody. And then you see, you know, you're envious, jealous, sometimes quite cruel, unkind, at least some of the thoughts one has. Like that, then you think, I'm not very good. Or, you know, what I'm pointing at is this thing, I'm, you know, whether you think I'm the best or I'm the worst, or I'm, it, it's still thinking. And so what I'm pointing at is not to, to, to believe you don't exist, but to begin to change from operating from the ego to the observing the ego. Putting the ego as a, in a position as an object rather than operating always from the ego as your subjective way of interpreting experience. Because from the ego level you always get it wrong. Always. <laughs> ego cannot be trusted. Or if I think, well, there's nothing wrong with me. I don't really need to meditate. I'm perfect the way I am. That's, that's the ego also. But most people that I meet aren't, don't come from that position. <laughs> and then in this country, like the English character, it tends to be uh, self-critical. You know, it's quite, quite uh, self-disparaging. So it it's uh, because we do we do give so much importance to what's wrong, you know, what we don't like, and why is that? Why do we do that? And it's because we we all have ideas, we have opinions about how we should be, you know, as a uh, you know as a good person, a good man, a good woman, a good mother, a good father, a good citizen. Uh, it should be, <laughs> and then that's uh, then that's an ideal. But we've got to live with the realities of now, which is not ideal, isn't it? With with the, what's happening, you know, with, with emotionally, what what's going on, you know, which is not an ideal. You you can't have ideal emotions. You know, we'd love to have always metta, loving kindness, compassion for everybody, unfledging, unrelenting, unmitigated loving kindness. That's an ideal, but this is the reality of it. Sometimes, it, you know, there's hardly any metta for anybody. <laughs> so, but the awareness, you see, is what you can trust. So, so like it, when you hate everybody, then awareness of that. Then you're cultivating the path. You know, so you hate everybody at this moment. It's like this. Or you feel guilty. You feel you, you hate, maybe hate your children or your husband or wife or partners or parents or whatever, and, and you shouldn't. Then you're aware of that. It's like this, and the guilt. They, you know, if you should, 
if you're brought up that you should love your parents then you and you hate them, then you feel guilty. You see, that's the, just pointing to the ego operating. Where awareness of the ego is not, is not taking sides or telling you what you should do, but it's knowing it. It's discerning the ego is is a you know condition that changes. You can't be the same personality under uh, you know every moment of the day. It changes according to other conditions. The state of you know whether you're hungry or not, or healthy or sickly, or people are treating you well or treating you badly or whatever. You know you you still the the awareness. You know, the personality will change, you know, from being happy-go-lucky, loving, joyful person to being miserable wretch because the conditions for being miserable are present. You can't be happy-go-lucky and loving and sweet when the conditions are miserable and terrible. <laughs> but, but, if, uh, but you can be aware of the changing conditions. Now that awareness is... Is is a is a refuge. It's the safety that we have. You know, safe. That's the way out of suffering. The escape hatch. Also, contemplate. You know, like this realm is, you know, this planet, planetary system. It's, you know, it's it's so powerful. This this universe. You know, just you think of yourself as a as your human body, and what is it? You know, we're very helpless little creatures. You know, these soft bodies easily squashed. You know, what if some aliens from outer space, giants, you know, started just tromping on us? We'd be like, like termites. <laughs> In Thailand, they have a lot of termites. And they, they're, they're tiny little things with very soft, succulent bodies. And you see, Buddhist monks were not supposed to kill anything, so when the termites get into Yakuti, you know, they're so easy to kill because they've got such soft little bodies. You've got to be very careful. So you don't kill them. And I think, thinking, wonder, you know, I kept looking at the termites, thinking, I wonder what that one, you know, if they have, how they see each other. One termite. <laughs> or if they know what danger they're in when I'm there. <laughs> you know, this big clumsy oaf is stomping around. And if they wear that with the danger to their physical bodies. Well, I mean, you know, when, uh, just like this universe where it's 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 a it's a so kind of wonderful and amazing because it's so and terrifying in a way. You know, just the power of this universal system that we have to experience through this very limited form, and that's just the way it is. You know, if you think of it in that way, as you're just this soft body, you know, that could be easily squashed by a giant or a meteorite or an alien from outer space or 
with what if the sun goes out? What if the moon crashes into the earth? What if the sky falls in? What if the there's another tsunami? What if <laughs> earthquake? I mean, we hear all the time about floods and earthquakes and volcanoes and you know that are not because of human problem. This is because the nature of this planet is like this. So it is um, a, a dangerous realm. Like say that the emotion of fear. In that this is this is a primal emotion of this realm. Fear. It's a fear realm we're experiencing. And this, I'm not trying to be morbid, but or frighten you, but just reflect. You know. It's survival, isn't it? Like you look at, you know, the forest and see the squirrels and all the creatures running about trying to, you know, survive in, in the law of the jungle. You know, the, the big fish eating the little ones and on and on like this. So we, you know, we've got that same thing. If, you know, we, if we didn't decide not to kill each other, we've got, we can create moral agreements not to kill each other. So, uh, you know, where animals don't, can't make such agreements. <laughs> but we can, you know, we, we have the same feeling. Sometimes we feel like killing each other, but we, we can agree not to. So that, that's where we get this, this sense of safety because we have laws and regulations and so forth that, that we try to abide by, but there's still so many people that don't, aren't there? Criminals and murderers and stuff that you hear all the time about these kind of things going on. So the, the fear is, is a kind of primal emotion of this realm. Now being aware of fear, awareness of fear is not frightened. So, so that fear isn't, you know, it's, it's, it's a, it comes and goes according to conditions. But the awareness, you can be aware when, there's, when you're frightened. When you feel frightened, you're aware, you think, I'm frightened. And then you interpret it uh, as if, you know, it's your, the fear is you. But if you, if you suddenly just recognize the conditions for fear have arisen, that which is aware of fear is not frightened. That's why it's a refuge. That's Buddha, Puto, you know, the awareness. So you, you begin to investigate your own conscious experience. Is, you feel you, you're experiencing maybe anger. Somebody's insulted you and you feel anger. That which is aware of anger isn't angry, is not anger. And so like discerning, this discernment, the, the panya, is to be able to discern anger and non-anger. This is, this is, you know, the, the, the society we live in only gives us the phenomena. You know, it's about phenomena. Everything's phenomenal. It's, it's uh, you know, the, the culture we live in, the times, the the reality for most people is about phenomena and that's our reality is all about birth and death and change and 
and survival and and uh, being you know becoming proving getting trying to to get rid of fear or feel safe and loved and feel something that you want that you don't have or trying to get rid of you know you can feel uh, you shouldn't be frightened that you should be brave and so then you you feel I'm not very brave I'm you know a man should be brave but I'm not <laughs> so then you you create this sense of there's something wrong with me but you know what I'm doing now just pointing to this realm is like this. This is not a realm to seek refuge in. The phenomenon. There's no phenomena that will provide any security. It can give you maybe a, a kind of false sense of security. But, uh, you know, and maybe that's better than not being totally paranoid and frightened. But, but even at its best, you know, it's still, we still have anxiety and worry and fear of death and loss and, and all the rest that are part of every human being's experience of life. You just notice what are, what are, what is drama about, you know? It's not about arahants or Buddhas, it's about people with problems. <laughs> Uh, you know, so you get wars and and uh, family problems, jealousies, uh, corruption, scandal. Scandal's always exciting, and adultery. <laughs> All these fascinating, exciting things. If they just had, you know, like a Buddhist monk meditating in emptiness. <laughs> it wouldn't be very interesting to people. <laughs> but um, a Buddhist monk having a nervous breakdown might be. And this, this realm also, it is exciting realm. You know, it is, uh, you know, it is a beautiful planet we live on. It's, it's uh, you know, there's some sensory, sen sensation in it is so, ha you know, can be so wonderful, beautiful. As well as its opposite, it can go into absolute horror and hell. And so this is, uh, you know, this, you know, we have, we're in this peculiar position. I don't really understand what it's about, to tell the truth. <laughs> but it, it is the way it is. And then I found in my own, in my own practice, by being aware like this, I don't suffer from it. You know, it's it's not you know where if I if I forget that and get caught up in my habits, then I then I can easily make my life quite miserable for not because of any direct problems, but because I tend to worry and 
you know, fear and things like this. It's, uh, you know, the karma of my life isn't, uh, you know, arises. So if it, if it, you know, if I didn't have this kind of discerning ability, I'd be, you know, I would be, you know, getting old, frightened, or maybe of death, or getting dementia, Alzheimer's. <laughs> Can't get, I don't know how many more years I'll be able to climb up castles in Portugal and ramparts and I can't do mountains anymore. Impossible. <laughs> but it is, you know, this is like, like I think this is, you know, to, to really see the, the way of looking, because the Buddha gives you very good excellent kind of tools to use for examining experience. You know, it's brilliant teaching, really. And, and it does work, if you, you know, if it just, but it is, it takes this kind of reflectiveness to observe. It's not about becoming something, becoming an arahant. You'll never become an arahant. Personalities never become arahants. You know, you never become that, you know, enlightened person. Because the personality is, not, is impossible for it ever to be enlightened, but it, but there's awareness that is impersonal. Now, what is that? It's not. You can't claim it as as mine, but it's certainly real. It's not. It's not a precious, sublime state that's dependent on everything going well. It's always here and now. Whatever, you know, whatever state you're in or place you're in or whoever you're with. So this, this you know, like this, I really think it's important to, for, you know, I found it very important for me to get this, what I, what I call a paradigm uh, that's very clear in in Buddha Dhamma in the in the Pali scriptures, and that's like the the unborn, uncreated, unformed, unconditioned. There's this statements. Then there's the created, the born, the formed, the conditioned. Uh, so phenomena, using English words like phenomena, is like sankara in uh, Pali. Sape sankara nita they chant. All phenomena is impermanent. Uh, and phenomena is the body, the eyes, the ears, the nose, the tongue, the everything. The conditions of the mind, the memory, the ability to remember, emotions, feelings, pleasure, pain, neutral feelings, the whole lot. It's all phenomena. And then... Would there be escape, you know, if, if everything's phenomena, then there's no escape from it. Is there a phenomenon that you can find, that you can get and keep? You know, is there one phenomenon, 
one thing, one place that you can get to and then keep it forever. And, and but then, the, then this reflection, all conditions are imper all phenomena is an impermanent as its nature. Then, this emphasis on my, what is it that knows phenomena? Because you can observe the body. Is the body really yours? Because you can, you're aware of it. You know, you're aware, like your posture right now, you're sitting and you, you can be aware of just the pressure of the feelings that you're experiencing in your body while sitting. Now that awareness, it, whatever you're feeling, isn't, fe isn't, isn't the feeling. It's aware of the feeling uh, of maybe discomfort or comfort or whatever you're experiencing right now through sitting. So like uh, sitting, standing, walking, lying down, four postures. You're aware, that which is aware of the body is not the body. And then, then the personality, like the ego, you know, I'm Ajahn Tomato and I'm a good monk or bad monk, whatever, then that which is aware of this perception, I'm Ajahn Tomato, that awareness of that perception. You see, I'm, I, I can discern this awareness is not Ajahn Tomato. That Ajahn Tomato is a, is, is a conventional uh, form to use. It's not, it's not a, a kind of permanent person or soul or anything. It's merely conventional reality. That which is aware of Ajahn, of the thought, I'm Ajahn Sumedho, is that has no name. But it's real. It's not made up. It's not dependent on kind of blissful, sublime state. It's wherever you are. And then, uh, and and this is what you know. This this which is aware, and that which you uh, can be aware of. So this realm, you know, the sense realm. So I'm pointing to the whole planetary system we're experiencing right now. You know, the sun and moon and Venus and Mars and all the rest, and plus the you know the the uh, conditions immediate to this moment, the time of day, the hot or cold, or whatever you're experiencing is like this. That which is aware of that, see, pointing again to this awareness, uh, sati, sampachanya. And then that, that's not, that's not taking sides on any issue, it's just aware, it's like this. And in that awareness then, we can let go of this uh, kind of blind attachment we have to phenomena and the limitation, it always, it's always binding us to, to fear of some sort. You know, as long as you don't discern the difference, then you're, you're kind of bound into a dying form. that Yeats poem O sages standing in God's holy fires in a gold mosaic of a wall come from the fire Poon and the John be the singing masters of my soul 
consume my heart away, sick with desire and fastened to a dying animal. <laughs> <laughs> Before I came to England, I used to reflect on this a lot in Thailand. Sick with desire and fastened to a dying animal. That's what I felt like. But it, it, it gives you this, it's, it's like relief, a sense of, you know, this, this way of reflecting and changing the position from the personal and, the, and just the habitual to this reflective point, then, then it, um, you do, you know, you start seeing things in, in terms of Dhamma rather than in terms of, you know, personal, reactions or personal prejudices, biases, or whatever that we tend to usually interpret our experience from. Yes? Back there? Yeah, uh, could you say something about um, apparent um, free will, as it were? If everything is kind of um, conditioned and dependent on other things, then presumably all our choices and decisions are as well. But uh, on the other hand, we do actually make clear decisions and choices to say, do a good thing or to go and sit and meditate or something like that. It seems to be a kind of a difficulty sort of, um, you know, making sense of those things. Well, it's like, like the term free will is a Western concept. And uh, it's very much part of the Western way of looking and belief. But... Uh, it's, what what the Buddha is pointing to is discernment, and uh, and and also like the, uh, they talk a lot about karma, you know, uh, cause and effect. So so like cause and effect are like the word karma. You know, it's uh, it means what you. The, what you you know the cause you use has has that kind of effect to do good then you get a good result do bad you get a bad result and uh, and but we you know the thing that the Buddha pointed to is the ability for a human being to reflect not to choose you know one one thing or another over another but to reflect and then then the wisdom, uh, universal wisdom, can operate through these uh, these uh, mortal forms. You know that's why you can have Buddhas and, or you can have enlightened individuals. You know, but they're not personalities anymore. They might, like Ajahn Chah, you know, he had a very he's a very charming person. You know, uh, uh, you know, but he. So his, you know, even an enlightened master, but he wasn't. You know, he, it didn't mean he he lost his personality. It just, but the personality was no longer a delusion. So you know, like you have, uh, uh, you know, he wasn't deluded by. So so I remember one monk, Western monk. 
asked him one time, you're a really charming person. You, you know, he's kind of testing Ajahn Chah out. You know, you, you, do you need to be so charming and turn people on? And is there some, you know, he was into psychology, Western psychology. You know, what is your need that you need to charm people and that kind of thing? <laughs> and then, and then, uh, and then uh, Ajahn Chah said, he said, it's, he said, it's my magnet. He says, I use it because it attracts people and then there's a point where they might be interested in hearing the Dhamma. Because <laughs> he obviously didn't need you know us to go around just being charmed by him. But you know, the, but he could use the personality he had in a skillful way. It's like all of us. We, you know, we we try to use our the good conditions we have, uh, you know, for good actions in the world. But uh, free will is very much a Western ideal, and and I I found like. Law of karma very helpful because it um, it's a good way to explain everything. Why, you know, why I thought, why, you know, I was brought up as a Christian, where you know you're told you only have one life, and God created everyone. He loves everyone equally. He doesn't prefer one person over another. And he created us. And so then you start wondering, well, why did he create some better looking than others? <laughs> why did he create, why are babies born that have defects or disabilities? Or, you know, if, if we're all equal, we're all loved equally, why, you know, there's kind of, there's kind of a logic there. You know, so then, and you only got one lifetime. It just doesn't make sense, even to a child. Now, in the law of karma, I find, then you can explain it, you know, like differences. We're working out, you have to learn from the way you are. This is, you know, it can, in Thailand or Sri Lanka, a place like that, they can use it as a kind of resigned, it's my karma, you know, uh, just a kind of passive resignation. But that's not really karma. You know, it's not an excuse or a kind of passive resignation to to justify your faults. But it's uh, it's it's much more like once you you know this is what I have to work with this this body this the these tendencies these habits these inclinations. You know, so so then then uh, then I can see it in terms of. Uh, you know that no matter what the defects are, they're they're what I learn from. You know whether it's disability or disease or poverty or ugliness or whatever. It's part of you know these are not obstructions to enlightenment. None of that is an obstruction, and so then you you begin you have a way of of uh, kind of. Learning from what you, what's, what you have to live with, you know, investigate, understanding it in terms of of dhamma rather than in terms of 
personal identities comparing that you're not as you know what somebody's better off than you are and it's not fair and things like that which tends to get very personal you know so then you it's not fair you know I'm I work harder than they do and they get the raise I don't it's not fair <laughs> And uh, that's the that's the personality again. And then so like love karma, and then uh, discernment. Now discernment is is it's not about free will or free choice. It's like like you know I compare it to grasping a flame on a candle. You know, so you you say, oh, that that flame on oh, that candle, so beautiful, red and everything, and you grasp it. And I don't have to say, now, this hurts, and I should let go of it. <laughs> I just let go, because, <laughs> you know, it's spontaneous. <laughs> so, I mean, it... Once you see the causes of suffering, of grasping out of ignorance, you let go, you know, it's like, it's not a choice, it's just a, you know, a healthy response to, to the condition. It is amazing to me how, you know, we can do this within this human state. Because, you know, I used to feel much, very cynical uh, before I started meditating. <clears throat> you know, kind of, you know, in the American system, it's so competitive. You know, it's, it's based on ideals of equality and fairness and all the rest. But the actual life experience is all about comp competition. And so you're, you know, you're, you're in this, you've got all these, these kind of conflicting messages all the time to deal with. So you, you know, you've, uh, the sense of your self-worth, you know, it, it's always in comparison to somebody else. <clears throat> and, uh, and the discerning ability, it's never even suggested, you know, there's no wisdom, it's about success and being a winner and getting somewhere and proving yourself and being somebody. Now this is this is uh, my cultural background, but it's based on ideals of equality and fairness and and uh, you know we're all the same, we're all equally good and and how things should be. But in the nitty gritty of daily life experience, it's all about trying to get ahead of the one in front. <laughs> or the one who's coming up behind, how to stop him. <laughs> and, uh, or to just give in, you know, become a drunkard or something, just because you can't stand the competitiveness. You know, just check out of the system is another way of dealing with it. But uh, I, I used to work and, and I was in university in the emergency room in the 
charity hospital in Seattle, and and I used to see some, you know, they bring in uh, on the weekends. They bring in like old men who had uh, were like uh, tramps and uh, alcoholics, homeless men usually, and and uh, I'd have to clean them up, you know, and so. I got to talking to some of these guys, and they, <laughs> you know, some of them were quite, you know, intelligent people that just didn't want to operate in the in a competitive system. You know, I could feel it because when you're in university, at least when I was, it was very competitive. I wanted to always, you know, my worth was dependent on where I stood in the lineup, and so this is. Uh, uh, you know, this is part of a cultural conditioning that forms a sense of your self-worth, where the discerning ability isn't, you can't compare it one person to another. You know, it's not about attainment or achievement, but learning to trust and observe, to be awake. And it's, so it's not about, you have to compete about who's more mindful and you have to be more mindful than somebody else. <laughs> And also, you have to learn from from the conditions you find yourself in. You know, whether you're, you know, paraplegic, quadriplegic, terminally ill, male or female, or young or old, or whatever. You know, this whatever is. Uh, these are not the obstructions. You know, these are not obstructions, but they're part of the path. You know, so even if we we have. Uh, Diseases or these are these needn't be obstructions. So if we see them in terms of karma, you know that's one way of why why uh, do I have this disability and and you're so healthy? And then it's it's, it's my karma. It's one way of accepting it. And I learn from and I have to learn from it. You know so you know you you have to learn from maybe good health and maybe I, you just look healthy. You know, we don't always, <laughs> you know, and, uh, and you know, like I said, I only see you under certain conditions. Maybe when you're only when you're looking healthy, <laughs> do you come here? <laughs> oh, this is just to reflect in this way gives you. Uh, you know, a sense of this lifetime as a human being is something to, you know, not dismiss or waste, really. And uh, it's it's quite interesting that, like, I've been involved in Buddhism for f over 50 years. You know, in, back in the 1950s, 60 years now. <laughs> and uh, the uh, 1950s, you know, the there, were, there wasn't any interest like this. There couldn't, you couldn't have a Buddhist monastery in Great Gaddiston 50 years ago. <laughs> 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 and uh, it was, uh, you know, it, it was uh, kind of beginning to dawn on people, like on the West Coast, where I'm from, West Coast of the United States, uh, this interest in Zen Buddhism and so it was the beginning. Suddenly, you could feel in the, in America there was something awakening that had didn't exist before.
You know, it wasn't a part of the culture. It was through, through the war with Japan and the kind of American occupation of Japan, then the cultural exchange. Suddenly, one of the the good things that that we that uh, we learned from Japan, occupying Japan, was Zen Buddhism. And then uh, that became quite a kind of an intellectual fashion back in the 1950s. But it was a beginning, you know, as a way of changing one's whole kind of dualistic, rigid structure of thinking and perceiving life into different way of looking, which was, uh, you know, which was what fascinated me. And then over, you know, it was from 19, it was about 1955 and I encountered Zen. And then after that, you know, this growing interest in Buddhist meditation. And it, it's because, you know, it isn't because we're interested in exotic Asian religions, it's because it's, uh, the wisdom is available through this form, and uh, we need it. Because <laughs> we, we are, you know, we're going on a, on a destruction course with our cleverness. <laughs> you know, we We've got, you know, the problems of overpopulation and pollution and, and endless, you know, the things that we, human beings, out of, you know, destructive weapons, atomic bombs, nuclear bombs, all the rest. You know, we've used our, our intelligence, not with wisdom, but with, uh, with the tendency to use it to, to uh, make terrible weapons. What is it with us that we we spend all so much money on making deadly destructive weapons with <clears throat> and it's ignorance of course it's not understanding dhamma that we we create these fears and prejudices against you know seeing somebody who doesn't agree with us as the enemy you know so we you know we're brought up in in always with a sense of there's an enemy that you've got to prepare for, because they're going to take, destroy what you have. And uh, it's still the same, isn't it? It's the Al-Qaeda, the, you know, if it wasn't them, it'd be somebody, something else. Because that's how ignorance works. It's just, it's just feeds on this ignorance, fear and ignorance. And then we have to arm ourselves with the teeth. How, in the Cold War, wasn't it? We had, and the United States had, they could over destroy the planet a hundred times. <laughs> and the Soviet Union was about equal in its ability to destroy everything. Now, isn't that intelligent? <laughs> Overkill, you know? And uh, and yet everybody, you know, we didn't. Very few people questioned it. And so then the, but then the good thing that's come out of this is a is a growing interest in wisdom teachings. You know, people are in the Western world, countries like this, suddenly, you know, seeking like wisdom teachings again. And that's because of the, you know, there is a, an awakening. 
and and I can see it in myself, you know, just the, the way that my life was transformed through just, you know, fe- you know, being uh, caught up into the system and and being able to to uh, see the pointlessness of just going along with something that because I'm conditioned to do it, you know, just conditioned to live the American dream, middle class, white man dream. <laughs> I could have just gone along with that, you know, but there's something in me didn't really felt ill at ease with that, with the, with the uh, position I was in. You know, I didn't want to live like that. And it wasn't because it was bad or anything, but it was just unsatisfied. It seemed so empty and meaningless. So, I'll stop here. Leave you to your own reflections. But I encourage you, you know, this is uh, good stuff. And you can can really... uh, you know, it, it's for, you know, to try and encourage, what I'm trying to do is encourage you. Uh, you know, because it, it does, we need encouragement. Because there isn't much to encourage us in the, in the modern material world. In this, in this direction. So I'll stop now.